This morning, we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. It'll be found on page 1026 of your pew Bibles. Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him, concerning the child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So the word of the Lord. Let's pray. We pray that you will take this old, old story and that you will help us to hear it in new ways this day. By your Spirit, and in Jesus' name, amen. But congregation for... How are we doing there, okay? For any number of reasons... Christmas can be a very frustrating season. I don't know if there is any such thing as the December that goes by without your thinking at some point, why are we doing all this? Why are we doing all this? We know it's supposed to be about the birth of Jesus, and yet somehow the biggest worry, the greatest anxiety we often have is that we didn't get a present for every person we should have. Oh, we didn't get the right presents for everybody. Or people are not going to be happy with what I gave them. Thinking of the anxiety over the perfect gift to give someone, maybe you've heard about the guy who wanted to buy his wife something nice for Christmas. 
And so he went to shop his drug mart and he asked the cosmetics clerk for some advice. So she said, she showed him a bottle of perfume, beautiful bottle, which cost $50. He thought that was a little too expensive. So she brought out a $30 bottle. That's still pretty pricey, he said. So the clerk, a little disgusted by now, brought out a $15 bottle of perfume. That's still quite a bit, he said. I'd like to see something really cheap. So she handed him a mirror. <laughs> it's tough to know what the perfect gift might be for every person on your list. But if anyone should know about the perfect gift to give, that would be God, right? Or would it? Because God's Christmas gift to us and to the world, the reason there is such a thing as Christmas at all, is a baby named Jesus, his one and only son. Truth is, however, that Jesus' birth neither was nor is seen by all as a perfect gift. God's people, way back then, certainly did not appreciate it. Only two verses describe the birth itself, but they indicate what would be true of Jesus' whole life, that this world has really no place for him. The traditional Christmas nativity play has Joseph and Mary, Mary riding on a donkey, arriving in Bethlehem late at night, Mary already in heavy labor, Frantic with concern for his wife, Joseph goes from one motel to another, only to be told there is no room until whew, one kindly innkeeper has a heart and puts them in a stable. Of course, none of that is actually in Luke's story. He simply writes that Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. He doesn't say the town was bustling with business like the stores at Willowbrook Mall or other stores in these weeks before Christmas, or that Mary was already deep into her third trimester. All he actually says is, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And that she laid him in the manger because they almost certainly stayed with family, as would be expected, but there's already extra family staying in the guest room, so they get stuck with bunking in the family room, which in a typical Palestinian home is a raised platform a couple of feet higher than an indoor stall where animals were brought inside for the night. And it is here where Mary gave birth to her firstborn. Still, and even though the whole bit about no room in the inn never was part of the story. The truth remains that this was the most profound moment of Mary's entire life thus far, and what kind of hospitality did she get in the town and the home of her husband's family? The child was laid in a manger, an animal's feeding trough. Can you imagine how many health and safety checks that place would have failed today? The thing is, this whole scene is symbolic of his life. 
there was no room available for him. God came down from heaven and took on human flesh, but those for whom he came were oblivious to his presence. In the words of gospel writer John, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. That pattern just continued when the baby grew up to be a man, and it still continues today. And seriously, no wonder. God? Was this the sort of gift that was needed to address all that was wrong with the world? And if you want to know what was wrong with the world, the opening verse of Luke 2 says it all. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Somebody is in charge and able to issue decrees to the whole world. And it's not God. The emperor is God. In fact, some of the names that Caesar was called were the very names angels later gave to Jesus. Son of God. Lord. Savior. Caesar had brought an end to a generation of civil war in the Roman Empire, which means there was plenty to celebrate, if not in Palestine, then in Rome. And what Caesar's decree said is that everyone needed to be registered, which was all about taxation. Being under Roman rule was a privilege you had to pay for. Show me the money, said Caesar. And the head on the coins that people were required to use, of course, was that of the emperor. Every financial transaction was a reminder of who was in control of this world. Caesar. And so what Luke says as the Christmas story opens is this. Look at what things had come to. Caesar Augustus was ordering the affairs of Israel and of the world as though he was God. And in such a world, if it was up to you and to me, how many of you would have asked for a baby? What kind of gift is that? What does you say when your gift and your desire don't exactly match? Ooh, look at this. What a surprise! How interesting. As you wonder what it might be worth on Craigslist or Marketplace. In this world which worships power, success, money, prestige, and raw force, what you get for Christmas is a baby. Vulnerable, gentle, meek, and mild. What kind of a fix is that? But the terrorism, racism, disease, violence that stalks our world. Imagine entering the Prime Minister's cabinet room for an important consultation, or the Oval Office in Washington, or a United Nations Security Council meeting, or the recent meetings of the G20 in Indonesia, and seated as the host of all of these meetings, a baby. But one of the lessons, the important life lessons we learn as adults, if not yet as kids, is that there is a big difference between what we want and what we need. And if ever there was a case where an unwanted gift turns out to be just the gift we need, it is Christmas. And the part of Luke's story where you first learn that is not the part about Caesar, 
But the part about the shepherds, shepherds who were certainly not where they wanted to be on that first Christmas night, and maybe not on any night, out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks, a job about as exciting, however necessary, as being a parking lot attendant. Nobody in the days when B.C. turned into A.D. held our sentimental views of shepherds. While shepherding was considered to be an honorable profession in the Old Testament, even God is pictured as a shepherd in the beloved 23rd Psalm. By the time you get to the New Testament, the shepherds had become a despised class of workers on the outskirts of the right places. Their testimony was no longer accepted in a court of law. They were not allowed to enter a temple or a synagogue. And for good reasons. Shepherds constantly walked among sheep droppings and dealt with dead animals, making them religiously unclean, according to the Pharisees' law. Shepherds ranged their sheep throughout the countryside, constantly trespassing, ignoring property lines. Shepherds were in the right position to pick a few things up along the way. Everyone knew most shepherds were thieves who ran the local black market. In those days, nobody loved the shepherd. The Willie Nelsons of those days would have been singing, Mama, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. But to whom does God first announce the arrival of his greatest gift? One of the greatest critics of Christianity back then, back in the second century, a man named Celsius, got it right when he complained, and I quote, all other religions invite those who have clean hands and a clear conscience. But whom do these Christians invite? Everyone who is sinful, weak, and wretched, as if they were assembling a gang of thieves. And how could a gang of thieves, how could sinners, ever be counted as deserving of God's greatest gift? But then here's an aspect of the shepherd's significance you must not miss. Shepherds are people who keep sheep. And sheep were kept in ancient Israel for what? Food. For wool. And sacrifice. Bethlehem being just a few miles from Jerusalem, I believe it's nine kilometers, is it too hard or far-fetched to suppose that many of these lambs were being raised for temple sacrifices? It was an expected part of Jewish religions in those days that every household had to sacrifice a lamb in the temple at Passover, and that's a lot of lambs. But the Son of God, the one the angels called Savior, is not born in the temple with those who kill the animals. He is born, so to speak, with the animals. That the angels announced Jesus' birth to shepherds echoes the real problem of Israel, the temple sacrifice system that did not take away sin and hints at the solution that was proclaimed when this child became a man that here was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here is the only sacrifice that can restore peace between God and people, 
peace among people. This, said the angels to the shepherds, is after all the perfect gift for you and for the world. The census that brought Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem was about taxation, about oppression, about humiliation. But this birth is about joy. The census was for all the world that was under the thumb of Caesar. But this is good news of great joy for all people. This Lord and Savior is bigger than Caesar, bigger than Rome, the fulfillment of every heavenly and earthly longing, even though right from the start he is subject to the oppression of Rome that forced his parents on a three-day road trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, even though already at birth he suffers rejection by his own people and gets tossed in the hay instead of being a decent place to lay his head. God, as the appearance of the angels tells the shepherds, can kick the Romans out of Palestine any old day he likes. Do you remember from the Old Testament stories how many angels it took to turn the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into a pile of ashes? Two. Do you remember from yet another Old Testament story how many angels it took to destroy an army of 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night after their king mocked the God of Israel and threatened Jerusalem's destruction? One. And here appears a whole host, literally the word is army, a whole army of angels, except they are not gathered for warfare, but for worship. And why worship? in awe that their commander-in-chief, God, came down that first Christmas and put on our skin and our clothes and walked our roads in life in our shoes. This is the gift that tells us that God understands us. God knows what it means to be human. God knows what it's like to love deeply and passionately what it means to make yourself vulnerable because you love so strongly. In Jesus, God knows what it feels like to be discouraged and disappointed, what it's like to long, to hunger, to dream, and to hope, and what it's like on the day that your dreams are shattered. In Jesus, God knows what it's like to face your own mortality and the final mystery of death. In Jesus Christ, God came to show us how to live, how to be human. In Jesus Christ, God lived our lives, except that he was without sin, so that he, the Lamb of God, and best of all, could die our death as payment for our sin and help us be and live as the sons and daughters of God all of us were created to be. The gift of Christmas that we need, that a world living in darkness needs, is the gift of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the gift we wanted, perhaps. Not our heart's desire, perhaps. But the gift we needed because neither Caesar, Augustus, nor any other human ruler or power ever since, including up to today, can either conquer the human heart or bring us back to the eternal God and creator of love and life or one day make everything no. Now, 
I know the shepherds didn't understand all that. Frankly, I'm not even sure we really can. But they understood enough so that when angels leave, the shepherds became angels. Angels, after all, are simply messengers. And the shepherds became messengers, amazing people with what they have to tell them, glorifying and praising God, writes Luke, for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. By the end of the story, some things have changed, and some haven't. What hasn't changed, even up to now, is this. There is still oppression in the world. Brutal oppression. And even those, frankly, who claim to be his followers often have little or no room for Jesus when he's looking for a place to stay. What has changed is this. God has entered our story definitively, vulnerably, and permanently. God has the power to overturn the oppressor, to confront the hard-hearted, but he chooses to make himself known as a tiny baby who needs and desires our loving and longing response. The gift no one wanted, no one expected, but all of us needed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this baby in Christ, we have all we need for this life and for eternity because this child is Emmanuel, God with us, not the God up there whom we must strain to hear and seek to find, but the God who comes to us, to you, in the midst of your life. However far from home you are, however less than ideal your circumstances, however much or however little your lives reflect the Christmas cards we send and receive, however deep you may have fallen into sin. This is where God is born, just there. In any manger, we will prepare for him. In any life and heart, we open for him. In any place, at any time, where we say yes to Jesus and find in him the very life and the love of God. In a certain city, there was a hospital, this is a true story, and the hospital had problems on its maternity ward because the walls and the ceilings were painted plaster. It was an old place. Every noise in the nursery echoed and bounced off the walls and the ceilings. If even one baby cried, it woke all the others. And so this constant noise of wailing almost always filled the whole place, giving nobody any rest. Then somebody suggested they should put speakers in the ceiling and play music to soothe all those savage little breasts. And so they did. And you know what they discovered? They tried all kinds of recordings, classical, I don't know about country and western. But the one that made the biggest difference, the music that quieted finally those little tiny souls more quickly and completely than any other, was when they played in that nursery the sound of a heartbeat. A heartbeat these little ones had been so used to hearing for nine months. A heartbeat that said to these little ones, 
Somebody is standing watch over you. Somebody is caring for you. Somebody's heart is beating over you, little one, with love. It is my prayer for all of us as we celebrate God's Christmas gift, a Savior born to us so many years ago in the town of Bethlehem, that you too may hear once more and ever more clearly God's heartbeat beating over you with love. May hear the voice of God saying to you, there is nothing more that you must do, nothing more that you must be to be loved by him. You are already loved beyond your wildest dreams for being exactly who you are. In the birth of Jesus, the God and creator of all gave his sinful and broken world, his sinful and broken people, his very best, himself. Voluntarily, willingly, unconditionally, knowing that as he cried for us as a baby on Christmas Day, he also would, one good Friday, as a sacrificial lamb, die for us. And yet he came. Yet he came. Can you think of a better, more incredible, more needed, more precious gift than that? And all you have to do is hold out your hands and open your heart and ask to receive it, to receive him. And then this Savior, this Lord, will be your shepherd. And you will lack nothing. And his goodness and love will pursue you all the days of your life. And one day, you too will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this wonderful gift of your Son. May we take the time that we need, also when we go home today, to unwrap it, to let it sink in. What it all means for us, how great your love for the world, how great your love for each of us. And so may this day truly be a day of joyful celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.